You are listening to the Hope Church Weekly Message Podcast. Hope Church is located in Cleveland, Texas and meets on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Pastor Todd and the preaching team desire for this message to bring life in a dark world. For more information about Hope Church, visit HopeChurchCleveland.com. Hello, everyone. This is what I look like without my guitar. <laughs> so, um, I'm speaking on extravagant worship today, so it's, it's fitting that the worship pastor would speak on extravagant worship. It's almost like we planned it, yes. Um, this is actually really one of my favorite stories in the Bible because I, I can relate to it so much. So, I'm just going to read through it real quick. It's Luke 7, um, 36 through, it was like 50. Bear with me. I know how to read. I'm reading out of the Passion Version. If you have not gotten the Passion Version, I strongly suggest it. It's very um, passionate, hence the name. Thank you. <laughs> Afterward, a Jewish religious leader named Simon asked Jesus to his home for dinner. Jesus accepted the invitation. When he went to Simon's home, he took his place at the table. In the neighborhood, there was an immoral woman of the streets known to all to be a prostitute. When she heard about Jesus being in Simon's house, she took an exquisite flask made, of, made from alabaster, filled it with the most expensive perfume, right into the home of Jewish, uh, went right into the home of the religious Jewish leader and knelt at the feet of Jesus in front of all the guests. Broken and weeping, she covered his feet with tears that fell from her face. She kept crying and drying his feet with her long hair. Over and over, she kissed Jesus' feet. Then she opened her flask and anointed his feet with her costly perfume as an act of worship. When Simon saw what was happening, he thought, this man can't be a true prophet. If he, really, if he was really a prophet, he would know what kind of sinful woman he is touching him. Jesus said, Simon, I have a word for you. Go ahead, teacher. I want to hear, what he, I want to hear it, he answered. It's a story about two men who were deeply in debt. One owed a bank $100,000, the other owed $10,000. When it was obvious that neither of them would be able to repay their debts, the kind banker graciously wrote off the debts and, gave, and forgave them all that they owed. Tell me, Simon, which of the two debtors would be most thankful? Which one would love the banker the most? Simon answered, I suppose to be the one with the greatest debt forgiven. You're right. Jesus agreed. Then he spoke to Simon about the woman still weeping at his feet. Don't you see this woman kneeling here? She was doing great for me what you didn't bother to do. When I entered your home as your guest, you didn't think about offering me water to wash the dust off my feet. You came in, uh, yet she came into your home and washed my feet with her many tears, then dried my feet with her hair. You didn't even come welcome me into your home with the customary kiss of greeting, but from the moment I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't take the time to anoint my head with fragrant oil, but she anointed my head and feet with the finest perfume. She has been forgiven of all her many sins. This is why she has shown me much extravagant love. But those who assume they have very little to be forgiven will love me very little. Then Jesus said to the woman, all your sins are forgiven. All other dinner guests said among themselves, who is this one who can even forgive sins? Then Jesus said to the woman, your faith in me has given you life. Now you may leave and walk in the ways of peace. So my first point is what is worship? It's a common misconception that worship is what we just did, the music and, and the raising the hands and the singing along, but that's only part of it. The definition of worship is the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity, God. Worship is tying your heart to God. Worship is the, uh, making a commitment to connecting your heart to his. So if he, if he pulls to the left, you feel him pull, and you can go to the left. If he feels you pulling right, you can go to the right. 
And there's been, there's been different times, and I'm sure Pastor Todd's heard this many times. People have come up to me like, you know, I wasn't really, really feeling worship today. Worship isn't about you. Worship isn't about me. Worship isn't about anybody on this stage. Worship is for God. It's not for us to come to the altar or to come to church and be like, man, I got all these issues this week. I can't wait to give it up to Jesus. That's not what it's for. It's that you come with those problems and still worship through those problems, still give God all the glory and adoration through all your bad circumstances. It's about a posture of the heart, a connection to God. Have you guys ever watched like somebody that's doing like a bow and arrow thing, like maybe in a movie, like someone's learning how to do the bow and arrow and like some little things are off and like one little movement can completely just misdirect the arrow. Well, that's the same thing with the posture of the heart. You have to be fully connected, fully engaged with God. If you're off even a little bit, you can, you can, you'll still hit your target, but you'll still miss a little bit. It's all about the posture of your heart when you're worshiping. Because I could be up here singing songs all day long and be thinking about, I don't know, the, the Cowboys or the Mavericks and not be fully engaged, and I'm not worshiping. You might think I'm worshiping, but my heart's not in it, and God looks at the posture of your heart. Uh, one of my favorite worship leaders, Amanda Cook from Bethel, she has this quote that says, there's something that shifts when we simply decide Jesus. Instead of focusing on your situation, instead of being at the altar crying because you're not going to pay rent, instead you're focusing on Jesus and giving him all the praise and adoration. So my next point, number two, is giving your all, not your leftovers. In verse 37 and 38, it says, of, of Luke, it says, she filled it with the most expensive perfume and poured it on his feet. Now back in the Jesus times, I don't know if you guys knew, but they don't really wear shoes they didn't really have paved roads. They had, you know, so they had dirty feet all the time. And that's why Jesus said, you know, when I came into your home, you didn't clean my feet. Yet this woman got her most expensive perfume, the most expensive thing she owned, her, her Chanel perfume, if you want, and poured it at the feet of Jesus and poured it on his head. And she, and she was crying and her tears were falling on Jesus' feet and she was using her own hair. I'm sorry, I would never use my hair to clean anything. That's just me. I love my hair. But she, she was giving it her all. She got her most expensive perfume. She used her hair for everything. And Malachi 1, 6 through 8, it reads, The Lord of heaven's armies says to the priest, A son honors his father, and a servant respects his master. If I am your father and master, where are the honor and respect I deserve? You had shown contempt for my name. But you ask, have you ever shown contempt for your name? You have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defile them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. When you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And is it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of Heaven's army. God doesn't want our leftovers. The same thing with tithing goes the same thing with worship. He wants the first, all that you've got. Not just your little bit, not just your leftovers, not just your, just your, oh, I only have this much energy to worship today. So I guess this is all I have, God. You got to give it all to God. And it, has, and it has to mean something. You can't just, there was another video I watched of Brian. I watched a lot of like worship videos, um, especially from Worship You. Brian Johnson was talking about how worship is sometimes exhausting if you're actually giving it your all. If you're actually putting all your energy and, and all your being into it. It's, it's not just singing songs out into the air. You're, you're actually, you're projecting your being out into the Lord and, and giving him all the praise and all the honor in that. And, and it takes a lot out of you. And, and sometimes like when, when we do nights of worship, you'll see up here, us up here sweating and out of breath. It's not because we're moving around. Because we're literally giving it our all. 
At the end of Samuel 2, 24, uh, the Lord commands David to build an altar. So he goes out to buy the supplies for it. And the guy was like, oh, well, you're building an altar for the Lord. Let me just give it to you. And David said, no, I want it to cost me something. He wanted it to cost something. He didn't want to take something for free. Because if he took something for free, it would benefit him to build this altar. So he did what the Lord commanded, and he made sure that it cost him something. In the beginning of Genesis 4, uh, Cain and Abel were bringing um, offerings to the Lord as well. And Cain, uh, as you know, he was, he was a gardener, so he brought just some regular old fruits and vegetables, nothing that was really his first crops. But Abel brought his fattest, his fattest sheep and his firstborn sheep and gave it to the Lord. And the Lord didn't respect Cain, for, and he didn't respect his offering either because it wasn't his most prized. It wasn't his first. We have to give our all to God. And another thing that people always sometimes forget is, is worship isn't on stage, it isn't in church, it's also out there. Everything you do, do it for the glory of God. If you're sitting at your desk, like I do, eight to five at my desk, and I'm sitting here talking about how much I don't like my job, I need to be worshiping, I need to be giving God the glory, like, thank you, Lord, for this job. Without this job, I wouldn't pay my bills, I wouldn't be able to put gas in my car to get to, to, get to church, to get to work. I give you glory, Lord, and, and even in those moments, God, you have in place at the jobs you're at to minister to the people that are there. I was reminded of that by my mom and Jeremiah, I didn't tell my mom this, my mom told me this, and, and uh, my mentor, Jeremiah, told me this about three days apart, that the Lord has you at the workplace that you're at because you're not done ministering where you're at. We've started a prayer group at, at my job. It actually started as a joke because somebody said something and someone goes, oh, Lord, he needs prayer. Well, the girl that sat across from him, she's, she's a woman of God. She's like, oh, we're praying. Let's, let's do it. So it, as a joke, started with four or five people. Now we're up to about 15 people and we get prayer requests daily. So don't ever underestimate how God can use you in the workplace. If it's a simple thing, telling someone, hey, Jesus loves you, you don't know how much you could have saved that person. They could have been contemplating suicide that day, and your simple, Jesus, I love you, reminding them that they are called and that Jesus loves them. So don't, if you ever feel that tug or, or something just pulling you towards someone, you're like, oh, I don't know what that is. I'm not going to go that way. Do it. You don't know what kind of blessing is coming out of that towards you and that other person. Let God use you. Let God be able to pull you in those moments. So, um... So in the, work, in the workplace, guys, if you're in the grocery store, um, just, do it all, just do it all for the glory of God and just give him all the praise that he deserves. And uh, this last point I want to get into um, is shame. Shame is something that the enemy uses to keep you from a lot of the things from the Lord because he tries to remind you of who you were. Not who you are now, but who you were. In verse 39, it talks about um, the Pharisees and how, how they knew that she was who she was. And it's like, well, and they said, if he was really a prophet, he would know who this woman was, how dirty she was. So let's put this in our times. You're at someone's house and you're, you're in the city of Cleveland and, and there's a, there's a lady that you guys know, like she's, she's the town prostitute, you know her, like everybody sees her and turns and walks the other way maybe. And, and, and the Messiah is coming into town and she hears this and she runs home and gets all her stuff and she comes over to your house where you have Jesus eating at your house and you're just staring at her like, what are you doing in here? Like you shouldn't be here. You don't belong here. You're not worthy. You're, you're dirty. You're full of sin. Like how can you even think your presence could be allowed in this place? So many times have I felt that. In verse 38, it talks about how she was crying and crying and crying at the feet of Jesus. And I, I, I relate to this story so much. Uh, as some of you know, I, 
uh, for a couple years, I'd, I'd sold drugs and I did drugs. I was not about God at all. I was really mad at him. So I turned my back on him for two years. So coming back to church was, was kind of hard for me because I grew up in church and um, I, was, I was a pastor's grandkid. So I, you know, I, I heard all the stories about, oh, well, do you hear John's daughter is out in the world again or, or Denise's niece is, is up partying again. So you hear about all these people that are doing bad and, and you know like, oh, we need to be praying for them. And then you see them walk in the building and you're like, Mm-hmm. I know what you've been doing. You know, like that's that's how I felt. Like, cause I knew, cause I know my mom. Um, she she prays for me. She always asks people to intercede for me and stuff like that. So I knew that people knew my business, and I was ashamed of that. So when I first came to church, I was I didn't want to do anything because I was like, people know that I've been bad, and I feel like I don't belong here. And it's gonna happen. There's gonna be people in the church that have known you from your past and been like, what are they doing here? And you know, five years ago they were selling drugs, selling cocaine at that gas station not too long ago. Like, what are they doing here? You can't listen to that. You can't listen to that at all. There's been times like whenever, whenever I was playing drums at my old church and, and I would see someone I went to high school with, like I would just immediately just get like chills running down my body and I just felt like, oh, this person knows who I was. I wonder if they're going to tell somebody at the church what I used to do. I wonder if they're going to tell somebody at the church that I used to, I used to sell drugs and I, maybe I'll get removed from stage. Like so much worry would just overwhelm my body during worship. When I didn't need to do that, it's just the enemy trying to creep in and just rob you of the, of the moments in worship because he doesn't want God to get any glory whatsoever. He wants you to focus on you and not focus on God. But the way Jesus sees her, the way Jesus sees us, he knew she was a sinner. But he allowed her to continue to do what she was doing. And I don't know if it was to, to make an example out of her or, or, or just because, you know, he, he wanted to let her. But the fact that Jesus continued to let her do that, it's the same thing with us regardless of what you've done. God is still going to let you come in and worship. God's going to still let you come in and serve. And he's going to forgive your sins. Like I said before, the enemy will constantly remind you of who you were, who you were, your past. Or that your worship can't be true worship because you've sinned too much. The enemy is going to fill your mind with lies of things that aren't true, things that aren't uh, aligning with the word of God, things that, truths that you've spoken over yourself that you know are true, but the enemy tries to come in and be like, well, that's, are you sure that's really what the God says? Does that really cover all of your sins? Does that really cover the, all the drugs you've sold, all the, all the things you've stolen from people, all the money you've stolen, all the parties you've went to, all the times you said God's name and blasphemy, all the times you've cussed? The enemy's just going to lie to you to keep you from God. And when you do that, what do you do? So you walk in the opposite spirit. And basically what that means, yeah, I taught her that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you walk in the opposite spirit. And this is something that I, I always catch myself in because, because the enemy always tries to instill shame in my mind, especially, especially when, I, when I first took over youth. He's like, do you, really, you can, do you really think you can do youth after all you've done? I'm like, oh, yes. I remind God I remind the enemy that I'm a child of God, like we were just singing now, and fear cannot creep up. In the book of John, it says that God didn't, we didn't choose God, God chose us. In the midst of your bad situation, in the midst of you um, doing drugs, in the midst of you drinking, in the midst of your infidelity, in the midst of you leaving the McDonald's drive-thru and cussing for the fifth time because they messed up your order yet again, stop going to McDonald's, they're never going to get it right. 
That's just, they're just never going to get it right. Yeah. The, the, one, the one in Arlington, I have to go inside because I'm like, okay, listen. Ketchup and cheese only. No pickles. I got a burger with just pickles one time. And I couldn't even eat it because you know that pickle juice gets on the, it like soaks in the bun and it soaks in the meat. I can't. I can't. I can't. Yes. I just can't. Oh, uh, someone... My mom wanted to be like, oh, just scrape it off. No, I can still taste the tomato juice, the lettuce juice, the pickle juice. There's no, there is not a scraper in the world that can get all that stuff up. I'm preaching today about McDonald's. <laughs> so God didn't choose. Uh, we didn't choose God. God chose us. Sorry. I didn't mean to go on a McDonald's tangent there. <laughs> But it's so cheap, man. When they have those 20 nuggets, it just really speaks to my heart. <laughs> I'm sorry. And when they have the 50 piece, what is it, like 50 for $10? Ooh, God is good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to go inside and get my own sauce because they won't give me the right amount of sauces. All right. Sorry. I'm so sorry. I got back off track here. Um, so yeah, walk in the opposite spirit. Just re- every, every lie that the enemy tells you, replace it with the truth that's in the Bible. The enemy says you're a sinner. Well, God says I'm a saint. Well, he says, well, you're a liar. And I was like, yeah, you're probably right. But you know what? God still forgives me. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 8.1 says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. How many in here belong to Christ Jesus? So that means there is no condemnation for you. The enemy is going to come and convict. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. The enemy is going to convict you and make you feel bad. Condemnation makes you turn and repent and receive God's forgiveness and, 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 and just accept his forgiveness. And you can be able to walk in his holiness God created us so he knew our human nature. It is written in his word that all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. He doesn't expect us to be perfect. I don't know why you put, you try to, you stretch yourself out trying to be perfect. You're not going to be perfect. He looks at the posture of your heart. Come as you are, he says. You don't have to, you know, be perfect. It, it doesn't matter if you cuss on the way here. I mean, obviously, don't do that, but, you know, <laughs> ask, ask for forgiveness. God's, God's going to forgive you. Let him, let him replace all that with his love and goodness. So my questions today are, the first one is, am I making worship about me? There's a song that you guys love, and I know Grant loves it. It's called Nothing Else. And in one of the, in one of the I think it's the chorus, it says, 